0: Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi,
1: this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership, I have a special treat for you today because I have not one but two guests here. I have Barbara Cave-Henricks and Rusty Shelton. And Barbara is president of Cave-Henricks Communications, a full-service media relations and consulting firm that specializes in book publicity, media strategy for thought leaders, and platform development. She's worked with some of the biggest names in business today and represented over 40 bestsellers during her publishing career. Rusty first spoke at Harvard on the changing world of PR and marketing at the tender age of 23. Today, he's the CEO of Shelton Interactive, leading one of the country's fastest-growing digital marketing and PR agencies. Uh, Shelton Interactive features a unique forward-thinking communications model that integrates PR, social media, graphic design, website development, and search engine optimization, all under one roof. And his company has launched more than 30 New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestsellers. So welcome, Barbara and Rusty.
2: Thank you, Thanks, Linda. It's Thanks great so to be much here. Thanks for having us
1: on. Great. And I have to ask you, first of all, because, um, Barbara, you helped me launch my own book about a, just about a year ago. How does it feel to be on the other side of the fence here? Now you're the one who's pitching your book to the media. It must be different.
2: It is very different. Um, I've been doing this a long time, more than 20 years, and at that point I think you feel that you understand the process well. Um, And I always felt that when authors came in the door I sort of understood the mindset they approached us with and the way they felt. The truth is you don't really know until it's your own book. I've always said that publishing as a book is a very personal moment that is very public. Um, it's a statement that goes out, whether you're very exalted in your career, no matter what your position, you know, there's some anxiety that surrounds that, just the permanence of it. So I've always said that and tried to treat authors with that in mind, but now I really feel it firsthand.
1: Excellent. Great. Now you've seen it from both sides of the fence. <laughs> you, you can have more, more empathy for those of us who go through it.
2: I think that's true. I think before I had sympathy, and now I can definitely say that there's empathy. There's empathy. Oh, wow. You know, that ownership, Rusty, and I laugh about sort of the ownership of the words and how different it feels.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you, what prompted the two of you to write this book?
2: I think we were prompted to write this book because there's been such a dramatic shift in the way that media is created and consumed today. It really is a completely new landscape. It's been that way. It's been being reshaped dramatically over the past 10 years. And it really calls out for some new definitions and new strategies. And Rusty and I together really wanted to move this discussion away from traditional versus social media, which are kind of the buckets that we hear this being discussed in terms of all the time. Here's what I'm doing on traditional, here's what I'm doing on social media. And we don't think that really quite covers it. So we were really looking for a broader, a more holistic view. Um, of the landscape and look at it in terms of three categories, earned, owned, and rented media. And our strategy looks at how each of those categories affect one another and you know, how it allows somebody with a message like you, with, like anyone with a message to get out, to be more effective when they're creating a strategy. It's a different media world today, and it really calls for a different set of tools so that it's being used efficiently and creating the most value for people.
1: Now, you talk in the book about something called micromedia. What do you mean by micromedia?
0: So here's what we mean by that, Linda. The the idea uh, that Barbara and I talk so much about is is this idea that we're entering the age of micromedia. So everybody listening to this podcast, whether they know it or not, is a media outlet. So some some of those people may interview or may – influence just a few hundred people via their Facebook page or Twitter account. Others may influence tens of thousands of people via a blog or, or a big podcast. Um, so in this day and age, individuals and brands have the ability to build an audience the same way that, that CNN or the New York Times does. Now, certainly uh, we're playing from behind because we don't have the same kind of brand legacy or the same kind of uh, resources, but uh, distribution right now has really been um, democratized. In other words, everybody can get out uh, via audio over a podcast, video with Periscope and other tools, and then certainly text with, with blogs and newsletters. And so uh, there's a huge amount of opportunity. We often say that, that it's both the most exciting and overwhelming time ever to build an audience, certainly the most overwhelming because there's almost an infinite amount of things that you can do with your time. Uh, but also the most exciting because there's more opportunity than ever before, and it's a lot of what we talk about in the book is, is actually how to focus on the right things as you build an audience.
1: And that's so important. And as you know, in my book a year ago, I talked about all the noise and how you get heard above the noise. And I think what you're saying is true. The good news is we have so many new channels, and the bad news is we have so many new channels. So how do you <laughs> figure it out? And, and, you know, and how do you really get, get hurt in that marketplace? So it's interesting, and, and I think Barbara mentioned this a moment ago, that we should stop talking in terms of traditional versus social media. Um, tell me, or, or online versus offline or something, why is that so important that we get away from that terminology?
0: Yeah, so I think for us it's this idea of uh, – Seeing the world in in 2D, which is social versus traditional versus 3D, which is the way we really think about it in the book, which is three categories of media, so earned media, rented media, and owned media, and and I'll provide just a quick overview of each of these. Uh, Owned media, for for everybody listening, this is all of the real estate online that, that you own, so it's your website your blog, your email list. If, if you have a physical mailing list, that's also owned media. And the idea there, Linda, is, is really owning the connection to your audience. So people that have subscribed to the blog or, or that have subscribed to the newsletter, you can get to those people anytime you want to. You don't have to have Instagram's permission. You don't have to have a producer at NPR uh, say yes uh, t- to the interview request. You're able to get to that audience anytime you want. And Barbara and I feel like that category of owned media there's more leverage there for a micro media outlet than, than almost across any other category. Uh, the second category for us is earned media. And the idea here is this is real estate that, that you don't own. It's somebody else's stage, and they're inviting you on it. So th- this is everything from the New York Times to NPR to uh, Gary Vaynerchuk sending a tweet out about your book. This is somebody else um, saying, you know what, this is something worth paying attention to. Barbara and I have heard a lot of people talk about the death of traditional media uh, and what we actually talk about in the book is this idea that traditional media is more valuable than it's ever been before right now. It's, it's scarcer than it's ever been. It's, it goes further than it's ever gone before. So we actually believe earned media is, is a huge part of building authority and credibility in the new media landscape. And the last category for us is what we think of as rented media. Uh, rented media includes your Facebook page, your, your Twitter account your LinkedIn profile, it also includes advertising efforts. And, when do we hear from a lot of people that say, you know what, I've got a lot of people built on my Facebook page or, or my Instagram account. And the challenge there is, yes, you've got a lot of control over the content that goes out there, but you don't actually own that real estate. Uh, Instagram users have gotten a real reminder of this or example of how this works this week with Instagram uh, now announcing that their news feed is not going to be just a, a true um, – news feed where the latest updates come up from people you're following, Instagram is now requiring people to turn on notifications if you want to get every single post from somebody. And so anytime you leave your audience on somebody else's real estate, you're totally uh, at their mercy in terms of them letting you get to the audience you've built on that site. And so what Barbara and I talk a lot about in the book is this idea that you've got to have a strategy for each of these three but we want to have a magnet moving people from earned and rented towards owned real
1: estate because that's really the one that you want to be building. And I think this makes so much sense. And, and I've also heard rented called it as paid, right? So you're paying for it. But But you're right, rented, therefore, includes the – supposedly non-paid, like Facebook and LinkedIn, etc., and the earned media is, is sort of what we used to think of from PR, right? I mean, New York Times, NPR, you know, a blog or whatever, um, and none of that's gone away. It's still, you're right, it's still important, but we have to have them kind of all laid out and understand the whole strategy. So, um, so given that, how is micromedia changing the way that the public perceives a brand,
2: I think that the micromedia mindset, which is the subtitle of the book, is something that we talk about. And what it means is to think more like a media executive or a journalist than like a marketer. And what we mean by that is, you know we talked about these three channels that you've come up with a strategy where you're going for that earned or traditional media or working to get in front of that audience to get past the gatekeeper. You're also contributing content on your rented channels like Facebook and Twitter, and then you have an own spot, which may be you know your own website or a blog or an email newsletter, where you're trying to sort of collect audience no matter which which sector that you're working across, your mindset, instead of being just, I'm going to sort of splatter out my message, needs to be more like a media executive, which is I need to entertain, I need to inform, I need to make this valuable so that my audience comes back. So rather than being transactional, it needs to be, everyone needs to start thinking of themselves as creating content that, engages people, that keeps them coming back. Not just one touch, but oh, if I go back to that website or to that brand or if I'm Coca-Cola and I want to go back to the Coca-Cola journeys page, you know, I, I, there's some reason that draws me back again and again and again. So it's losing the mindset of transactional. It's picking up the mindset of relationship building. And by doing that, or the best way to do that is to create content that engages people. That has them wanting to
1: come back absolutely and it's it's about content and conversations and and building communities um, and again building that relationship so I, I think you're, you're absolutely on the right track here um, tell me how do people use micromedia to build a direct channel to their audience because if we do want to really get to what we own and control um, very often unless you're a large brand uh, and you've got that large owned channel, you're starting small. So how can you use micromedia to build that direct channel?
0: That's a, that's a great question, Linda. And oftentimes we ask people to visualize it as they get started building a micromedia audience. It's kind of visualizing taking the stage in an auditorium. And for most people, as they get going, when they take the stage, there's a lot of empty seats out there. Uh, for most people, the, the front couple of rows are filled with friends and family, maybe some coworkers, but in large part, you're talking to people that, that already know you, and it's very hard to get people in the door. So w- what we often encourage people to do is really to think about um, their home-based website as that auditorium. And when, when they write a blog post that people share and, and new visitors come into the site, it's very much like they're walking in the door at your auditorium. And they're trying to make a, a decision, okay, should I, should I head right back out the door or should I take a seat? And so the the big idea for us, Linda, is around how do we give them a reason to stick around? For for most people on the websites that they set up, uh, we see them very promotional. It's, it's, you know, if it's an author, it's about the book, about the author. Uh, here's where you can buy the book. So if people aren't ready to buy, there's no reason for them to take a seat in that auditorium. So in thinking like a media outlet, as Barbara mentioned, what we want to do from the stage is we want to give people value in a very similar way that a newspaper would give people value on a certain certain topic area or in a certain city. We want to do the same thing from the stage. And so um, a lot of this is about expanding the content strategy beyond just your perspective. So if we think about it, a good media outlet or a good newspaper is not filled with op-eds. What a good newspaper does is certainly there's some op-eds, and that's what we think of as somebody's blog and, and, and their uh, direct opinion on things. But uh, the, the best parts of the newspaper often are, are, are you interviewing other people or reporting on the real newsworthy topics or newsjacking, as David Merriman Scott calls it, that we talk a lot about in the book. So the more you can give other people a reason to to share your content, the more people that they can send in to your auditorium. But what I would encourage your listeners to think about is, When somebody walks in the door to their auditorium or or when somebody lands on their website, are you giving them anything to do besides buy something? If the answer is no, then all the marketing and PR in the world will drive a ton of people into that that auditorium, but most of them are not going to stay.
1: And I think that's really important. Are you giving them something to do besides selling them something? And too often, we spend all this time and energy trying to get people there, and then we try to hit you over the head and say, buy now or else. And I think what I'm hearing you say is we need to entertain, we need to inform, we need to provide value, and we need to kind of create this community and relationship so that people will then come and decide, hey, we like this. We trust them when the time to buy is right, this is who I'm going to buy from.
2: I think that's right, and I think I mentioned, um, Linda, very briefly, I mentioned Coca-Cola. They have a spot on their website called Coca-Cola Journeys where they encourage people to come in and tell stories that incorporate, you know, the soft drink. Mini Cooper has done this. Um, There's a Mini Cooper's Club, um, very similar to what Harley Davidson did back in the day of, you know, uniting all the owners, giving them a fan page. Even if it's a place to post a picture, to tell a story, to engage with it, to engage with one another, which I find interesting is the brand almost steps back and let the users tell the story for them, that kind of an engagement you know, is very sticky. People want to belong. It's a very big anonymous world. So if there are like-minded people in one space and you are the one providing the format or the forum for that discussion, that automatically brings value. I also think when we talk about bringing people in and giving them something of value that in large part, as this move to put everything online to create this newly democratized space where we can all tweet and post and update and link, is that more and more people, um, I think, will be thinking visually. So, you know, that it isn't just a static, you know, a blog, that maybe there's a piece of video that goes with the blog. Or maybe for that person who really hates to write a blog, um, you know, instead it becomes a video cast. Maybe they're a speaker and that fits them better. You've chosen a podcast. You know, there are ways to sort of incorporate both visual and other audio, other components, other ways to communicate than just the written word. And I think the next wave we will see a lot more variety. I think people are out there right now experimenting. There's apps like Periscope. You know, there are ways to sort of make this all very interactive and dimensional and those will come into play as you're trying to collect an audience.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you that we need to reach people in the way they like to be reached. Some of us like to write or like, like to read uh, written material. Some of us would rather listen. Some of us would rather look. And now we're doing it from mobile devices more often than not. So it needs to be short and sweet and maybe it's a short video or a short audio or a Periscope but it's is really reaching your audience in the way, <clears throat> excuse me, they like to be reached. So let me ask you: You've both worked extensively with some really big names in business today, and you've focused on their platforms as authors and thought leaders. Um, how has your work changed as a result of what's been going on, and how the media environment is continuing to undergo this transformation? What's different today than that even just a few years ago?
2: I think one of the big
1: oh, go ahead, one Laura. at a time now. <laughs>
2: It (laughs) is. We aren't sitting in the same room today. I think the big game changer from my perspective is that, you know, a campaign used to be a fairly one-dimensional playbook. You know, you got the book, you appealed to the gatekeeper with the message, the gatekeeper either said yes or no. And ideally, what we did was get a few yeses and use those as leverage to get more. So one or two hits, we would then... You know, go back and say, hey, you remember that book I mentioned? You remember that concept? Look, it's been covered here on NPR, and my author was a guest on CNBC, and he had a piece in Forbes. So therefore, this momentum shows you that the public is interested, and you should care too. So basically, we lo- we went strictly to gatekeepers, and we used every hit to amplify our message further. The game changer is that now you have an entirely new route that bypasses all those gatekeepers that you can get your message out. So when you create a campaign, what we're doing is starting in the area where we have control. Instead of twiddling our fingers, which most people thought we did, or creating 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 original pitches to get that ball rolling, we now have this option over here to the right, which is let's start putting the message out. When we do that for authors, for thought leaders during campaigns, What we typically do is, yes, we want to have the author blogging, but at the same time, we're going to be looking for invitations for them to contribute content elsewhere. So when an author comes in the door, we have the unfortunate task of telling them that one of the things we're probably going to need from them is content because – the world is content hungry right now. So what we'll do while we're pitching gatekeepers is we'll be in touch to, say, get an excerpt to run on Fast Company, get an invitation to byline for Forbes, talk to someone about having a guest column at HBR, so that when a campaign gets started, we're creating a bit of that momentum on our own. We're not just waiting you know, for traditional media with gatekeepers to open their doors. We can do both at once. I think that's a huge shift in the way we've done it, and the the change for us, additionally, is teaching our clients how to use that space. How do they contribute to rented space? How to write well? How to think visually? How to how to message without you know becoming a me first platform that Rusty talked about? You know. Don't create a newspaper with only your own voice. So our jobs today are twofold. You know, they're getting teaching people how to use it, and also creating our own momentum to leverage up to you know so-called earned or traditional media.
1: And Rusty, would you like to add to that?
0: Yeah, I think the the big thing I would add to that is just the the goals that uh, that clients have today. Many many authors or many clients that we're working with are really focused on growing the email list and almost for, for a lot of the authors that we've worked with lately, like the email list is a big goal for them because they know when they grow that email list, they can do an infinite number of things, whether it's, um, you know, growing the, the size of, um, you know, the, the reach of that initial audience for blog posts, but when the next book comes out, they can run a big pre-order campaign or they can sell an e-product. So I think one of the, the key shifts that we've seen is, when, when Barbara and her team go out and get great ER uh, for a client, the question is, okay, well, while they're on the air, what's the call to action that we can give? One of the things that's been working very well lately for us is, uh, is a free quiz or a free assessment. And we had a, a big book launch uh, for the book called The Confidence Code, and we set up a free confidence quiz on the website that Claire and Caddy would give out in radio interviews and TV interviews. And in the six months surrounding that book launch, they ran 160,000 people through that wow. confidence quiz. So, so and, and when you get to that kind of scale, you start to have as big a reach or, or even bigger than some newspapers out there. And so the, the email list or this owned media idea that Barbara and I talk so much about in the book that the leverage that comes along with that, and, and the ability to reach that group of people anytime you want to, is, in our opinion, uh, really where where things are headed. But you cannot grow that list, or we can't get lots of people in the doors of your auditorium without quality earned media and without quality rented media.
1: Got it. Got it. Absolutely. Wow, one hundred and sixty thousand people on the confidence code. That's just amazing. Excellent. Great work. So uh, before I ask, I want to ask you one final question. But before we do that, how do people reach you? Um, How do they find out? The book is called Mastering the New Media Landscape, Embrace the Micromedia Mindset. So first, um, Barbara, if people wanted to reach you, how would they find you?
2: Sure. We set up a landing page for the book itself, which is masteringthenewmedialandscape.com. So there's some information there about the book, um, about each of us. Um, some additional information, and from there you can also hit a button and go over to RustyShelton.com to reach Rusty. Mine will redirect back to my company website, which is CaveHenrex.com. And both Got it. On Great. Our sites. We have blogs um, and ways to reach out and send us a note.
1: So if readers – my final question, I'd love to chat with you all day, but this is so fascinating. But if readers could take only one thing away from mastering the new media landscape, What do you hope it would be? Rusty, tell me.
0: Sure. So uh, what I would say there is to really understand clearly that first impressions are now made online. And for for better or worse, whether we like it or not, your brand is what Google says it is. And so uh, what Barbara and I talk so much about in the book is this idea that you need to own that first impression. For, For most people listening to this podcast, my guess is uh, many of them don't don't yet have a website, or, or, or maybe are not as active on on LinkedIn or Twitter to control that first impression. And so what happens is, when somebody Google's their name, it goes to real estate that somebody else owns, and. It, uh, with them owning it, they own that first impression. So uh, I would encourage people, if they don't yet own their name as a website address, I'd, I'd encourage them to even push pause on the podcast right now and go to GoDaddy or Network Solutions and, and reserve their name if it's still available. Uh, if it's not available, I would encourage them to think about maybe going with the middle initial. But this idea that, that your brand is what Google says it is, and when you're standing on the stage in your auditorium and, and people head in there, we want to make sure that once they've discovered you that, that we give them a reason to stick around uh, so that you can grow that audience moving forward.
1: Wonderful. Your brand is what Google says it is. So perception is reality, and in today's world, perception is a Google search. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly right. Okay. Well, this has been fun. Um, really exciting to, to hear about the book and see how well it's doing, and I've enjoyed chatting with you. So thank you so much for both for being with us today.
2: Thank you. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today, Linda.
0: Thanks, Linda. Much appreciated.
1: Okay. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership.
0: We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.Leverage2Market.com.